0: Hi there, I'm Jake Humphrey. You're listening to High Performance, a gift to you for free every single week. If you can subscribe and rate this podcast, please do. It makes a huge difference to us. As many of you know by now, this podcast turns the lived experiences of the planet's highest performers into your life lessons. So right now, just pause and allow myself and Professor Damien Hughes to speak to the greatest leaders, thinkers, sports stars and entrepreneurs on the planet for you so they can become your teacher remember this podcast is not about high achievement or high success it's about high happiness and taking you closer to a life of fulfillment empathy and understanding today on the high performance podcast this
1: awaits you how old are we 22 23 back then whatever old it was things that i enjoyed doing were making music djing maybe DJ my tunes out in a nightclub. So you fast forward 19 years. What do I enjoy doing? <laughs> Making music, DJing, playing my tunes in a nightclub. What do I do every weekend? Exactly that.
2: Part of that is the sort of competitive nature in us, and I don't really know where that comes from. I can't place it in myself. Yeah, I mean, just, you know, it's in, it's inbuilt. You know, but they were very ambitious, and it was like it wasn't like let's just try and do well. It was
1: let's be the absolute best. Self-doubt and questioning. Every session we go to, if, if it's for someone else, I and mean, like we've made a whole load of beats beforehand, I'm I'm anxious, thinking they're not going to like are this. Is, yeah, we're no what one. Of, yeah, what yeah. of what are these twelve songs that we spent ages making are garbage and we're totally out of sync? We've always forced
2: each other and ourselves just to always, always turn up, and that means sort of metaphorically and physically.
0: So today we talk to Will and Saul, two men who created Chase and Status, and they talk about their passion when they were younger. They talk about the doubts from their friends and their family. They talk about the fact it would have been so much easier to give up on their dream. Now, what about hard work? Where does hard work and high performance come together? Saul talks really passionately and really deeply about obsession, almost to the point of it being an illness, but this conversation I know is going to be valuable to you. And let me just remind you, it doesn't matter if you're not even a fan of their music. It doesn't matter if you come to this podcast for business people or sports people or entertainers or entrepreneurs. The key for these conversations is to come to them with a growth mindset, with an open mind, because there will be things right now that Will and Saul, and status, will say that will change the way you see the world. It's a conversation that is full of value. So please enjoy it. Don't forget, you can also watch these episodes. We'd love it if you would go to our YouTube channel, just type in High Performance, subscribe, and you can watch as well as listen. And I think you see a little bit more when you actually see the whites of people's eyes while they're talking about the things they have passion for. And that is really the centre of today's conversation. Passion without hard work is just passion. Hard work without passion is just hard work. And Will and Saul are living, breathing reminders of what happens when you mix passion with real, genuine, deep hard work. So thanks very much for coming along. It's time to get you closer to your own version of high performance. Today's episode with Chase and Status comes next. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. Well, Will, Sol, thank you so much for joining us on High Performance. Let's start, as we always do, with what is your definition of high performance? And for the first time, we get two answers, not just one.
2: Yeah, I wonder if you have different answers. Um, God, big question. Um, I think, for me, I mean, obviously we perform in the literal sense, but uh, as, as artists, as recording artists and performers on the stage, but I think just in general for artists for what we do the ability to kind of create original ideas which have some kind of intrinsic value is the real difficulty of of what we do anyone that can do that operates probably at a high level
1: i guess it's obviously extremely subjective but um and i guess it would just kind of fall into my kind of obsessive mind anyhow but just Whatever you set your mind to or your goals, just making sure that you put everything you can into it to achieve it. And that starts at an early age. Um, and obviously as you get older, you know, that kind of, the amount that you can do that changes and you, also you realize you don't have to do things like 24-7. But yeah, I definitely think having a goal and making sure you achieve it every single time and then setting more goals. It's constant. Have ad- addition of goals means your performance will always stay high, and then you never lose rest on your laurels. Because then when you start doing that, any kind of performance in any facility any starts to waver. Mm. This is good. Soul sounds like, like
0: you're building a journey to me. So we're we yeah. gonna let's <laughs> delve into that journey and let's start. You know, so I mentioned there early on about it starts at a young age. So let's go right back to you know when you a first realized that you both had an, an affinity and a natural ability at this, but then you were able to tap into the obsession to make it a success because without hard work, we get, we don't get anywhere. So can we talk first of all about this relationship? Because this is a unique thing. Oh, very two few, of us. Yeah. Very okay. few
2: people find this that you two have found. Yeah. What was special about it? Well, I mean, look, you mentioned the word obsessed. That, that's definitely why probably we sort of met in the first place because mutual friends and through a, a mutual love. Slash of, obsession. Of, of, obsession of, of dance music, uh, electronic music, British music culture in like the nineties when we were growing up. Um, and yeah, we, we, you know, everyone likes music when you're growing up All of my mates were kind of into music and stuff. But when you meet someone else with a kind of almost verging on a sort of sickness uh, rather than a, just an obsession, uh, you just kind of recognize it in that person quite quickly. And, and you, you connect with them, I guess, on a slightly different level than maybe just your average music fan. and, that's i guess what kept us in contact through growing up in london and then going off to university in manchester and just coincidentally being there at the same time and bumping into each other and sort of reconnecting through that obsession of just music and culture and, and the things we're into at the time
4: you've both used quite strong terminology obsession or a sickness which almost has a negative connotation to yeah what some people might describe as passion
1: yeah yeah I guess it does sound negative doesn't it because you know the thing about obsession um, which I personally am guilty of with pretty much anything I'm into like I am <laughs> crazy into it and sometimes I might be into something like insane for a period of time and then I'll stop like I've collected vintage mosquito, I think I've got the largest personal collection in the world and I've like completed that game now so I've stopped <laughs> collecting it every week and like sourcing it and like rummaging around you know um, but like that's gone on since we were kids, you know? So it's always these obsessions that have basically like driven everything I do.
0: But let's talk about it positively then. What has the obsession done for you?
1: It's meant that everything we try and do, we achieve it. You know, we make sure it happens one way or another. Like if we didn't manage to stumble across some success in music, I have no idea (laughs) where it'd be, where I'd be, you know, it was like, it was, it was nothing else. I think what we are talking about, like the obsession connection between us. We were like, also when we both went to Manchester separately a year between each other, we clearly both gone there. It was like, we're going here because we're going to uni and we're getting away from our parents and blah, blah, blah. And it's fun. But I'm not going to, I'm not going to be a, what am I doing? Philosophy. And humanity. <laughs> I'm, not doing it. I'm not doing this stuff. I want to be a jungle DJ. You mad, you know, like this is what I want to be. And then, you know, reconnecting with someone up there who's clearly got the same, mindset, the same dream. Because I think we both had friends who were also DJs, bedroom DJs, really good at it as well, like better than us at some stage, or like might have shown us a few things. We're like, wow, earth But it was us who went on to be completely besotted with it. I think also we fell in love with it. You know, we fall in love with these things we're obsessed with. I by. think the sickness thing is just because it sort of take it does it sort of takes over everything
2: you do, really, and I guess gets hold of you. A bit like, you know, when you're very sick, you're kind of consumed with an illness. So it's not really an, it's not meant to sound negative, but it's definitely all consuming. And at the time, it's all we did and talked about our entire lives were built around our obsession with music.
4: And how do you nurture that then? So it becomes a positive thing rather than the, the, rather than something that well because I, you can think of it like an addiction yeah but well, it's something we love well, so
2: you, well what you re, what you realize is at some point you need to earn a living and so you either quit your obsession and get into the real world of making money or you try and turn your obsession into making money And that's how you nurture it. And that's when things get serious and it goes from being a thing that you have a laugh with your mates and, you know, you sort of endlessly chatting about to how the hell are we going to turn this into a viable career that will pay for us to live and exist and even in the future pay for our kids to go to school and all this kind of stuff. And that's when it goes from, I guess, an obsession into a profession.
3: Yeah. And what Richards are your memories
2: then of that period? Because it goes from being fun to
0: actually being much more serious, mm. probably, and then that increases the pressure, that increases the obsession, and yeah.
1: it's a snowball, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's also it's also um, quite surreal in the sense that it's in one regard it hasn't changed. Because I was, I was saying this to my wife the other day, which is like when I was how old? are we twenty two, twenty three back then? Whatever old it was, things that I enjoyed doing were. Making music, DJing, maybe DJing my tunes out in a nightclub. So you fast forward 19 years. (laughs) What do I enjoy doing? (coughs) Making music, DJing, playing my tunes in a nightclub. What do I do every weekend? Exactly that. So it's like in some regards, I'm still in the exact same place we were when we were like desperately trying to like break it, break out and come through. Because we're still in that cycle of doing the same things we love so much. Whereas friends of mine will be like, oh, mate. I've not seen Dex for a long time. It's been a long time since I DJ. You know, I remember the days and I'm like, remember the days I'm going DJing tonight. You know, it's like, it's still stuck there in, in that regard. So yeah. But there's so
4: many people listening to this that I reckon would be going that they've heard that saying that, you know, find a job you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Yeah. yeah. Thinking, But I don't know what I love. Yeah. 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 So how did you guys discover that this is a passion that you could well
2: well well, uh it did it did become a job and you know it what it it isn't always you know you you don't always love everything you're doing and that point of you know dropping out of uni and realizing you know we haven't got a pot to piss in it's gonna we're gonna be working in a shoe shop unless we unless we turn this into a viable sort of money-making option that does add stress and you know suddenly you are putting yourselves in difficult positions and situations and um, putting Might yourself well, well you, you 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 start to you start to sort of you've got any money, you, well, yeah, and you have to start plotting, you become very strategic. Well, we became very strategic, right? So it's like, okay, so work backwards. So, who are the people that do make money from this? So, you, you're our heroes, for example, and it's like, right, how do you why are they making money? And it's like, okay, well, they've created a brand, they've created amazing music, they've managed to sell themselves, they've obviously met other important people okay how did they meet those people well they went to these kind of places or and you just keep going backwards until it gets quite quite detailed so it was like right okay so we're at a very small level no one knows who the hell we are okay who's the next person up from us that has any power or any network or any influence the guys that work in record shops in manchester and city center okay because they have access to the other producers that give them the records and they know we don't, there's no way of getting to the big people yet, but they know they were like a little bridging gap and, and I can physically speak to them cause I can go and buy records. So we'd spend months trying to befriend these people more than your average punter so that we'd have a bit of a, like, Oh, Hey Dave, you're right, mate. Oh, can you any chance one day you can link me up, you know, and that kind of like mad, Sort of strategic plotting started to go on and, and that's just one example, but we used to spend a lot of time as well as trying to learn our art form, but working out how to basically move up this like long ladder and and that isn't always fun and that's you know you, you get rejected a hell of a lot, and you know it's difficult and more time than not you you're getting slapped in the face and it's kind of uh, and yeah you you're spending a lot of time without any money, any income, you know, sort of basically on the dole. Uh, your mums are like, what the hell are you doing up there? You know, this is, you know, when are you going to come back to London and get a real job? And, you know, our friends are starting to make money and stuff. And so those times are stressful. But I also think those times, you know, we were connected before on a, on a sort of, you know, joint passion, you know, similar interest. And now you connect on a level of like, we need, I need you and you need me. And suddenly my mum was like, and how's Saul doing? Is Saul all right? Is he still doing well? And you know, his mum, is Will okay? You know what I mean? Because it's like you, you are reliant on each other now to basically ha- have an income and have a living.
1: And I think something's important that kind of kind of predates lots of that is it's quick, one's quick to forget that actually two base things that dro- drove this. So we, 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 we got to know a lot of the guys in the record shops before it became like, you know, and that'd be a smart play was b- just because we were obsessed with the music and therefore going into the record shops five days a week and getting as many promos as you can and knowing everyone. So when the promo comes in, yes, yeah, so what's good? You're like, that's my brother. Thank you. Yep. I don't need it, but I'll have it. Cause it's a white label, you know, like that was, it was the passion, the crazy love about it. And something that really spurred us to like, right, let's, let's do this as before. I think we thought it's a monetary, you know, option is, we were good djs we thought we're good djs we want to if we give you give us the opportunity to play in this nightclub main slot we'll smash it we know it but no one's going to give us the opportunity how can we do that how can we get noticed how can we get known and then everything else became a part of it and that fundamentally led led to us saying we need to make music you
0: go from befriending the people that work in the record store Mm. and we're sitting here now and the awards and the record sales and the gigs you've played, you know, we're talking about the biggest venues around the world. That's a leap. So I'd love to know the story of how you go from yeah. so saying,
2: uh,
0: do you know an ANR guy in Manchester yeah. to, to us sitting, having this conversation now. So what happened next?
2: Yeah. Well, it's it's a long story, obviously. And uh, we can can you do can... it in about 20 minutes. P- okay. Well, <laughs> you sort, sort of, I mean, it, it's just, it's a series of doors basically that, that you don't open, you kind of kick yeah. open. And by
0: the way, I ask this question because our podcast audience is full of people with a dream and an ambition and an obsession. But they believe, like many young people do, I'm born in this. This is my box. This is my pl- path in life. Oh, right. Well, There's no way through. And you guys are living proof that that's yeah, not the case.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, it was it was never not an option for us to to do, to, to do what we do. And I think that's people that. say, oh, you know, are, are you? A um, question we always get asked is, you know, how did you always? Uh, are you always like sort of? surprised at your success and you know have you, do you have yours sort of looked at these crowds and these accolades and thought "Wow, well, you know how did we get here and we we sound really arrogant but we always knew we'd make it we always knew there was never a single doubt that we wouldn't get to where we wanted to be, and it, it wasn't. We weren't arrogant. We were full of self. We, you know, we. But I'm, it, I'm full of self. I, I think you know it wasn't like yeah. We didn't That's the think thing we,
0: that you can believe that and still be full of self doubt. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Exactly. It wasn't this sort of delusional like we're just better than everyone. It was just like we will because we're there's no other option for us. This is what we want to do. We love it so much. It's a long shot. Making money from music is quite you know probably high risk. But it was like there's just we'll just do anything it takes to to make there will just never be a time when we're not figuring it out and whether that means we've got to make friends with a million record shop shop owners or do even more ludicrous stuff we'll just do that and it's fine we'll just keep doing that And, and eventually a door will open and it's definitely easier with two people i think you know it's a lot of tough times in that journey and a hell of a lot of rejection and out and like oh my god this is a nightmare what are we doing what are we doing what are we doing but uh, in those super low times you look at your, your partner and, and then you end up laughing because like, Someone else well, got you're your misery. yeah it's you're not, in the, uh, yeah
4: at least so you're can you give us it with me an example me. of like a really low time then mm-hmm. of where where you did call on each other
2: oh man I, I think there's been a lot of times when so probably actually the hardest times are when you start to get success and then you get a lot of uh, a lot more expectation and um, pressure in a way because when you when you're just trying to start out, everything's a win because you so you're just you're, you come your base level is just loss. You haven't you're not winning anything. You're just nothing. So anything good happens is a win, and anything rubbish happens is just normal. And then you start doing really well, and it's like there's a chance to to continue that, and the losses feel quite painful and you know, rejection of maybe it's a song doesn't do well or a record label isn't happy with something or whatever it might be, a bad gig or something. You start though, that sort of doubt creeps and you go, Oh my God, we're going to go back to square one again. Can we keep this going now? And more money gets involved and more people, more people are interested in it. And I think some of those times, particularly the sort of difficult second album, after our first album, I felt we'd built this thing up where we're very proud of and it's like, and we, the second album was like suddenly major labels and big money universal music were involved and they were like right this is it we're going to it's all on you now to become this big act and we both just had oh, a full pressure, on yeah.
1: meltdown second album it, syndrome is, second it, album le- legitimately yeah, something that 100%. most artists actually experience and we, we, we oh, why is
4: that so, I mean I wouldn't come back to it but mm-hmm. because because the,
1: the, the debut album there you have nothing to lose you can't believe you're making an album in the first place because what are we doing making an album anyway you make that first album oh the album's done really well and on the back of that album which has went gold on independent we've signed with a major <coughs> that's random anyway da and then you go to make the next second album and you part of you wants us to make the first one again but you can't because you've done that and you know yourself <laughs> that you, we're, we're not one for just recreating what we've done over and over want to do something new and we knew that you know there had to be Bigger, better. We had different ideas, and all of those things, and then trying to have that success and keep the original fans without alienating them, because the second album had a lot of more different genres on there than just drum and bass. First album had drum and bass, two dubstep songs, and hip hop track. It was all very and met lots of instrumental music. And the second album was geared around our live show, and it was different direction. You know, taking it up a notch and yeah a
2: dangerous position there of like losing all you've built all the original fans are like hang on this isn't what we signed up to you've sold out that classic thing of like yeah, you've sold selling out. out we do no, and once you if you if that happens and we, a lot of our peers were doing that at the time we saw a lot of people sort of jump for the stars miss you can't go back to where you came from you're in no man's land at that point yeah. as an artist you're like well you're you're not cool anymore you're not successful on on a commercial level, so you are really screwed, really. And then you've lost, you really kind of lost it. And that's why you see a lot of artists have that flash moment and then just, you never hear of them again. And that was that moment. It was a really dangerous territory for us. It was like, this is make or break, 100%. If this album doesn't really go, we won't be able to go back to that last five years that we built up. The club.: cool sweat, ground you know. Yeah, this fan base we've loyally, loyally built, built up. This doesn't stick. We'll be isolated as, as an act, we felt, anyway. And the pressure of that, when, and trying to meet deadlines, managers going, you need this, and the record label being like, it needs to be more commercial, we need more singers, we're not really into that, all of that you know, was, was a lot. And, um, uh, you know, definitely at the time,
1: if it hadn't been, if it had just been me on my own or trying to do that, yeah. it would have been probably there, there too be much. Contract negotiations <laughs> where things have been, you know, beginning of the career that were a little bit, you know, skewed with, shall we say. And it was a good to have your partner there. It was a good, good cop, bad cop also worked kind of well. Mm-hmm.
4: But what's intriguing is that you describe two types of pressure here. So when you start out and you say that, you've burnt your boats, you've just decided that you're going to make m- uh, money from music, and yet you seem comfortable with that pressure. Yeah. And yet when you've then started to make money, do you think it's something about, at first you've said, you're playing to win on that first album. On the second one, you're playing not to lose.
2: Yeah, yeah, kind of. I mean, the first one you've got nothing to lose, then you've got something to lose. You know, you, you. I, I guess it's kind of that really. Yeah, but, you know, <laughs> it's,
1: it's a bit, That's a bit, bit defeatist because really. uh, no, we don't want to lose mm. but believe me you know we wanted to win mm. we didn't want to just eh, this happens all right we we're to write, you know big boy album like make sure this is sick mm. and that's all that, that counts basically the way that this is sick and hopefully with that you know get some success and that obviously went on to be our biggest album to date and our most successful one um, which I don't think we were just born out of the, the, the fear of not losing you know, we knew, like, we wanted... It was, it was the birth of the live show as well for us, you know, and it all went hand in hand. And uh, it was a real, like, a, a departure, I guess, from the nightclubs and to, to show we are also, you know, a festival-ready act to make those kind of moments. What, I, what I'm picking up a lot of here, though,
0: is, like, you two are both very happy to take a leap. Like, walking away from university is a leap. Staying up in Manchester where you were rather than coming home and getting a job. Most people go, well, i go home. And I, I can live for free. I'll get a job. And then once I've got a job for six months and I've got some money in the bank, then let's have a chat. Yeah. And we'll, whereas you do it the totally opposite way. You're kind of, I I imagine you're living hand to mouth. You're hoping for the best. Then you go to a major label, another leap of faith. Then you decide, right, we've done that. What's next? Let's go and be an amazing live act. Where do you both think, whether it was your upbringing or pushing each other on, where did this spirit of risk-taking and taking leaps of faith. Yeah,
2: I, mean, I think weirdly, I mean, that's kind of like a part, we're both madly ambitious, right? Mm-hmm. And madly competitive as well, actually. Luckily, not too much with each other, which I, I think we couldn't exist if we were just constantly competing right. with each other because it would just be stupid. But, in you know, when coming through, we are competitive with our peers. We were very business, you know. It wasn't all like, let's go to the after party with the other artists in our scene. It was like, we're just about our business and we're basically trying to get above you in your business. Brilliant. We were really competitive. Um, but that's you know, your industry, man. Well, People will see, eat you alive that's well. why we did that But you say the class, that, we're you very, say that. We love that. It is you know? quite, but also, you know, dance music, there is, an, uh, there is a reputation, you know, there's a lot of like partying and there's a lot of looseness in our industry, electronic music, DJs, after parties, superstars floating around you know, drugs, all that kind of lifestyle. When we were, when we were trying to make it, we were not about that at all. We were, we did, we were boring. We were so business with what we did. Part of that is the sort of competitive nature in us. And I don't really know where that comes from. I can't place it in myself. Yeah, it's I mean,
1: just, you know, it's in,
2: it's inbuilt, you know, but they were very ambitious. And it was like, it wasn't like, let's just try and do well. It was, let's be the absolute best. That is will, that's the only thing that's good enough. Um, and it quite it sounds quite kinda of arrogant that, but I I guess it was like, well, it's it's all or nothing sort of thing and you know, it you can always comes, be better, can't
1: you? It all comes from that competitiveness. You know, we, we entered the the culture cast three years ago with our team uh Rebelside and we won it, uh, quite handedly. That takes us back to the beginning. When when we first linked up, our competitiveness was drawing tunes on each other. Oh, okay. That's sick. I need to get that. You know, that kind of where do you get that from? <laughs> <coughs> yeah, where do you got that from? And, and that became it. I want to play a better tune than you. And even when we started de- DJing out as Chase and Status, it's like drawing a little mix on each other. Ah, oh, you've done that one, yeah? Okay, oh, I, I do a good one now. You know, sod him. Yeah? You know, like and then and then it, that became a bit less aggy, but it, it definitely was a big part of the start of it. I think that that whole culture we're from, like jungle, drum and bass the whole culture is that. It's mm-hmm. clash. It's like drawing tunes on people, making a tune. Playing a tune that people got nuts to, telling to someone else, and saying, "You know what I'm saying." I think it's a big part of it. I think 100. percent
4: But I love, like, I love the clinical nature of this—that you're not getting, like, you're playing to thousands of people, you're creating adrenaline and these amazing vibes, and then you can switch off from that and go into business mode from when you walk back afterwards. So, how did you sort of avoid getting? Seduced by the trappings of the success and yeah. the, or the, the comfort blanket of mm. people patting you on the back. Yeah. Oh well,
1: I don't think uh, on the, on that front we are we're just not those guys. We are no, we're not ones yeah. for praise or insults. Really, uh, you know, like uh, uh, we don't read comments, we don't read good things, we don't read bad things about yeah. us. It's just none of it is healthy. You know what I mean? In the, in the slightest, I don't think. And
4: all. lots of people say that. You know. Like lots of people say, oh, I don't read the. Their line.
1: Uh, yeah, the, yeah, know, the yeah, but they Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, I, I glance at them, but I don't mean I'm not, I'm not um, here. I'm not here to be like, oh wow, people. It doesn't matter. A hundred people could say you're amazing, and someone could say you're terrible, and I'd be like, that terrible <laughs> one's really made me feel away. That's that's annoying. Yeah, but a thousand people said you're great. Forget about them. Who's this one seven-year-old from, you know... I, th- I
2: think as uh, well, There was. there's always well. more to be done. We always had this feeling, um, and still do, that there's always something more to be done. So it was always like, you know, straight out the gig, back into the car and get to the studio, get to the next gig, not... Oh, let's have a drink and celebrate that big moment. And a nice example of that, I think, when we released our first album, or first single, or first song on vinyl, just like an underground dance release, might have even been an alias. Yeah, uh, two thousand three, and free. it was just completely like probably like hundred copies pressed on vinyl. But it was our first moment on vinyl. And a friend of mine sent uh, us a bottle of champagne and said, "Wow, you guys, are, you know, you're like twenty two, whatever. You've got a song on a record. Like, well done." Um. And we thought, oh, should we, should we pop the champagne tonight? I thought, no, actually, because we just want to finish this thing for, like, we had this other little thing bubbling away. and Let's do that. Let's get on that record label, another little label, and then let's drink it. And we did that a month or two later, and then it was, oh, let's just and kept going. And we still got that bottle of champagne, and and it's sort of a nice sentiment of, like, there's never a moment of, like, we've done it. Never, ever feel like that. We never, ever. There's always, like, oh, we, need, we still need to do this. We still need so to headline more, oh, we, still, yeah. we still need to do that. And that's kept us focused from getting caught up in the kind of, we're here, let's let's drink the champagne, let's you know lose sight of what we're trying it's to do. It's a brilliant lesson,
0: because actually yeah. along the way, the nice reminder for the both of you has been, and we've all, we all know of them, those acts who appear, mm. we talk on this podcast, never get high on your own supply. Yeah, it's they, that they kind appear, of thing. Get high on their own supply, they are the last one at the bar, yeah. they are drinking the champagne, Yeah, they don't make the recording session the next day, they do start to piss off yeah. the record label and whatever, six months later they're gone and you're still there and people are going why do those why are those two still hanging around yeah and that's why i love this conversation because people that listen to your music love the music they don't understand this work ethic this drive this determination this constant focus on the process not on the outcome so is there an outcome is there a day where you would drink that champagne Do you think or are you totally happy never never opening that bottle
4: well, That's a victory in itself yeah. in
2: some
1: ways. I'd be totally happy not opening it.
2: Yeah, I guess it's its almost now it's become more, the minute you you're sort of a sad day of like, well, it's sort of stopping, you're stopping, right? There's nothing more to achieve. You know, I, I think now, obviously, we are, we're less, you know, obsessed about, we have less boxes maybe to tick than we used to, obviously. And we, we do celebrate, you know, our successes now and again. You know, we're not as fiercely mental as we used to be. But, um, uh, no, I, I don't know. I think I think as long as you still want to be working uh, and performing at a high level, then um, I think the bottle stays, stays shut really for us.
4: So what are the kind of, like we use this phrase world-class basics, it's almost like the habits that that you relentlessly focus on. What are the kind of world-class basics that if we came to watch you now when you're working, yeah, we'd have recognised it from back in the early 2000s? <gasps> It's a good question because
1: I guess there are like three mm-hmm. main elements for us. There's a four. There's DJing, the live show, making tunes themselves, and then working with artists in the studio for their for their music. They all take completely different skills. Really, obviously, we're very comfortable making music, and we have maybe it together for a lifetime. And it's funny. It's hard to pinpoint because you sing DJing, okay, performing all these people. It's just. <clears throat> it's really just it's an extension of what we would have done in, in yeah. your bedroom.
2: Do you mean kind of traits that are sort of traits yeah. that are kind of... Behaviors, things yeah. that you
0: do, things that you bring to the table. I think that,
2: I think something that uh, may a key to our success that's consistent through all of that and is still, is, is kind of putting yourself in challenging situations and then turning up to them. And you see it time and time again, particularly in our industry, people can be flaky and... Not turn up. Things get long. Uh, let's not do that. Actually, or allow or, that. Or and I don't. Uh, we've never ever missed a flight. Not gone to a studio session. Not met up with someone who we're nervous of or a, a big name. Or um, not put ourselves in a, an awkward in work situation. End. In a weird interview situation. Um, which sounds kind of basic, but you'd be amazed at how many people sometimes cop out when when the going gets really tough. And just turning up, always just turning up, even when it's the last thing you want to do. or or, uh, Being reliable, man. Because we don't have to, right? We're self-employed, but we can choose our own destiny a little bit. And it's very easy. That's the danger of that. Is like you know what? Let's just make an excuse and allow this today. And we and then again, we just look at each other and going, oh, "Do we though really right. Shall we?" And this, no, it's wrong. Yeah. And those, some of the best stuff has happened from those times when you've gone in a room with people that you're like, "Oh God, I'm dreading this." And then obviously you come out and the. So give us an example happened. of that,
1: then. Will. Well, I think high pressure really, really actually works for for Will and I mm-hmm. on every level. Be it there isn't a single album we've done where until we were given like the absolute deadline, that if you don't miss and get this deadline, the next year is over for you guys. When <laughs> we've hit it, you know, we always need these targets to, to you know, to, to go to or being put in situations out of our comfort zone, like going in for, for, when we, when we went in with Rihanna for the first time in 2009, that's a good example because we were so much younger. I mean, but we were in the room her making music and we didn't know what the hell we were doing. But And she's, you know, we like like, she doesn't sound like ours, but we we basically co-produced half an album for her and did loads of stuff with her. And we just dove straight in. You don't get much more deep in So than how that. heavy was the imposter syndrome? That massive, point? yeah. I, well, massive. I, I, think, I think I have that all the time. And i talked to my wife about that, actually, forever. You know, self-doubt and questioning. Every session we go to, if it's for someone else, I mean, like we've made a whole load of beats beforehand, I'm, I'm anxious thinking, man, they're not going to like are this these yeah we are no what one of, yeah, of, yeah. what of these 12 yeah. songs that we spent ages making are garbage and we're totally out of sync and there's not been a single occasion where that's been the case and every time we play the songs and the artist likes them and say these are great the relief is like oh my. like it's never happened before but that's always going to be the way I think you know it's these high high pressure high pressure works for us I think
0: Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com spoken today. Can I just talk about my Labrador Belle for a second? Oh, she's five years old. We love her so much. She is pretty much the most important person in the family. Certainly more important than me. And that's why today's episode is sponsored by ASPCA Pets Health Insurance. Because I know that your pet is part of your family and you want the best for them, right? But at the same time, vet bills can really add up. And that's why you should check out pet insurance. And with ASPCA Pet Health Insurance, you can focus on the care your pet deserves and cover what matters most. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Programme has been around for over 18 years. They allow you to customise your plan, helping ensure your pet's plan is as unique as they are. And it's simple. Use their app to submit a claim and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit aspcapetinsurance.com slash performance. That's aspcapetinsurance.com slash performance. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTZ Insurance Agency Limited. The ASPCA is not an insurer and is not engaged in the business of insurance. How did you deal with the whole Rihanna situation (coughs) and not allow (coughs) yourselves to... um, to compromise yourselves through, through that fear.
2: Yeah. Well, look obviously you're equally excited as you are, you know, terrified. Um, and, you know, we were completely terrified of making fools of ourselves or just not being good enough. And, you know, she was very excited to work with us. Um, and it sort of summoned us down to this. Which reco- if you've got imposter syndrome is weird in itself. Weird anyway, yeah. yeah. And, and, and you know, but, you know, it was very lovely about it and said, come down to a studio in London for two weeks. I'm coming down to bring the, I'm bringing Jay-Z, Beyonce, the whole team. We're all going to be based there. I want you in one of the main studios. We're going to roll through with our whole team, and make this album together. <laughs> so this was a while back uh, okay uh yeah We'd just yeah, released no, the first we'll, album we'll be there we'll be there I'm thinking, oh my god yeah what we're we gonna do that you know we're not american pop producers we're still writing john bass you know dubstep and like mad stuff back then <clears throat> what the hell are we doing and uh again two people helps look at each other as you're in the front door and you're like what I'm about? sitting it, and then, you, and then you both just laugh. You're like, well, you go first, man. At least you're with someone else. If it all goes to t- it like together, someone, if someone needs a bit of a moment just to take a minute, the other person can just fill the void for a second. So that that helped, definitely. But um, I, I guess, you know, our ambition over, overrode that kind of, like, doubt. And it's like, this is your chance. We'll so make it work. This is what mm-hmm. you've been, you know, fighting for. So you only get one chance, really, at this kind of level. So you either turn up to this and you walk through the door and and you you just lay yourself out and just not you know worry how it's going to go, or you just walk you know you make your excuses, and you don't, and you'll live to regret it. and um it obviously went brilliantly for us, and we, we got a lot of good stuff from that, and learned a lot. but um yeah, it, I think as a trait, we've always forced each other and ourselves just to always, always turn up. And that means sort of metaphorically and physically.
4: Because some of the language that both of you use about this all or nothing, you know, mm. like this is our one shot, can yeah. often seem... Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, like, but,
1: that's my train, all Yeah, or nothing, but, I, but it,
4: it can sound quite extreme in terms of for anyone listening to it. Have you ever had examples where it has gone wrong and you've realized that maybe that that all or nothing wasn't, what you feared it'd be.
1: I mean, we've had a couple of sessions where it's like they've been horrific. You know, like, yeah, i have just of you know, left. We've done, not, you know, we've done, we've but, released music we
2: didn't like. We've we've done, we've had songs that didn't connect. We've we've had, you know, bad releases,
1: and so.
4: How, and, and you, you had to do that.
1: They've had to happen. To, you know, it's it's cliched, isn't it? To, you had to go through the losses to to learn, mm-hmm. so that they wouldn't make the same mistake again. You know, had to go to that dry session. With, uh, it was ages away, and like miserable to get there, and like totally off sync and I couldn't have been the worst connector why was it there in the first place to know not gonna do that again And I right. left you know I've done, you know, done it a hundred times since yeah, but <laughs> yeah yeah with the same kind of answer. But you, you you go back to the to, what's the, what's the phrase you keep going back to the scene of the crime each time hoping for a different result and sometimes you do get a different result it's, it's, it's a risk you have to take you know you yeah. know
0: I'm enjoying this conversation because I'm seen so it's like a mirror here for me mm. I mean a very very different life but when I ended up on kids tv I was exactly the same as you two it was the environment where you had to fight and scrap yeah, yeah. and be absolutely self-obsessed yeah, not yeah. so obsessed yeah. Absorbed, totally absorbed, yeah, yeah, yeah totally determined totally ready to be the person that makes the move and then I ended up in formula one and felt not dissimilar to how you felt at times in your career that everyone was expecting a fail and a flop the only way through is to find it within yourself and it's not going to come from anybody else so my, it leads me to a question because I reflect sometimes on my TV presenting career and think, could I've enjoyed it more?
1: Oh yeah, but yeah, I mean the answer <coughs> is yes. Oh, oh do you know what The answer is yes. Big time, Big time. But, Big time. but
0: that's, then, that's, yeah. what would you not have had though in terms yeah, totally. of enjoyment? We'd, we'd still know? be
2: at the bar, you know. And I think maybe maybe that's a sacrifice that that you have to make to to be to get to the to a high level in anything you do, right? I think probably most people would say along the way. Looking back, they could have maybe stopped and paused and just you know enjoyed the moment a bit more, but I think it's impossible to do that because or very hard to do that, and actually, it feels like you could say, "Well, was that a sacrifice?" but I think that what you get in the long run outweighs maybe that that small sacrifice and you know, trying to achieve your dreams or even get close to them is probably worth that that small bit of sacrifice. And actually, are you actually missing out on on that much? You know, I don't know. We, we've not been too bad. You know, we we obviously have celebrated, and, and but we have been quite single minded about our our sort of obsession of being successful and doing well. And maybe that's a small sacrifice, but I think long run, yeah, I'll do. It. I
1: wouldn't change a thing. we really. change not not a single thing. <clears throat> even any of the things that weren't, you know. Like we say, like certain tracks shouldn't have been on certain albums. Certain albums of us should have been shorter. This track should have been for someone else, not for us. Blah blah. But fundamentally, it's all led to this and where we are now and how we are with our families and everything. And I wouldn't change. I anything. think that
0: five studio albums.
1: This, yeah. our, this is about to be off six.
0: About six its, be on its hit, way yeah, to yeah. an NME nomination, a Brit nomination. You've played the O2. You've won awards. You've had amazing hits. There's no party, there is no night out <laughs> that will ever f- that would ever feel as good today as that story would feel when you sit here and reflect on it. No? Exactly, true, man.
2: Yeah. Exactly. I think you take a quiet, quiet comfort rather than you know we don't need to do that you know to kind of acknowledge our successes. And I think um, you know we we kind of know you know we're proud of each other and our work that we've done, and we
1: just sort of quietly kind of acknowledge that rather than need to shout about it. My eldest daughter, she's six, she's just starting to kind of understand, figuring out something about what I may potentially be idea of doing. <laughs> You're going to work again, Daddy. I'm like, I was last night. My mummy goes, Daddy makes music that people listen to and dance to. Like, oh, that's cool. And she's starting, I'm like, okay, when they're going to start thinking I'm cool or like what I'm doing, <laughs> yeah, then I start, that might start, be a real like, wow. Fortunately, i going to break it to you now,
3: bro.
1: They're never going <laughs> to be cool. <laughs> they will bit. You will never be cool. <laughs> they will forbid, But like, yeah. that's, a, that's, a, that's an exciting feeling, you know, like, wow, they might yeah. see this thing. The else. legacy at least. yeah. See, that's nice. But
4: that's an interesting area that you talk about being parents and partners now because that obsessive element that you had in your early 20s when you two single lads going out, how have you woven in being parents and partners I married it up with this obsession of still Oh, uh, you
1: know what, well, My job. wife she should be here. Yeah. Should ask her what it's like living with me, you know. Yeah. she's the, the, what, the what poor would she say? The, the poor girl. I mean she's she's got three she, kids. <laughs> yeah. She she she's 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 great. Um I, I'm not easy to live with. I understand that. You know, I'm difficult. Um and yeah, I'm, I'm obsessive and all this and the career is quite you know, extra. So like this, this week for instance is our busiest week based so far this year with sessions and, and interviews and so on and so forth. And it's also you know first week of half term. So she's just there with the kids who were who stuck to her like glue, yeah. you know? Um, but I think the obsession comes out with everything, even at home. Like I'm, I've, I'm, I've got two dogs some crazy dog fuck person and I walk them every single day without fail at the same time without fail. And, and like the thing that goes through my mind, if I haven't walked them, even like I haven't walked them today because I got in late. All I'm thinking about is got to get back and walk them. Got to get back and walk them. Like they need to walk. They need to walk. They, you know, like it goes everywhere, but it doesn't. It comes out in different places. You know.
4: So if your daughter started to develop some of these characteristics, you'd recognize in yourself, like this obsessive nature or maybe the compulsive element. Yeah. Would you encourage it or would you look to? <laughs> maybe dive but, into you know
1: it. You just i kind of understand like ah uh, you know there's not really there's no choice she's not thinking oh i want to be like this i'm not i want to suddenly yeah. do that it's like it's in it's inbuilt so rather than be like why are you doing that you know like oh i know why <laughs> but also let's have this conversation
0: for a lot of people that think similarly to you so is it can be a really valuable and useful element of your life it gets stuff done
1: well, I think if, if we had to like talk about OCDs, I think Will is very fastidious and, and neat and per- per- perfectionist, organized, and yeah. organized. You know, and I'm a complete mess. But the o- I have it's different, isn't it? But yeah. my OCD is like you know, he, I remember a conversation we had like three years ago, word for word, and like mm. send him a, send him it. You know, I'm like <laughs> I like detail. I'm no details, things like that. Like to the point, and like he's very particular like that, and I'm messy but obsessed with things. It's, it's two different, it's different OCDs, it, yeah. but they kind of work together. And when you perform
0: live, which I, I don't know whether you would agree is like the
2: way to see Chasing yeah, Status, Yeah, definitely, right? man. Yeah, yeah. How controlled is that? <clears throat> uh, well, I mean, it, it's a big production, which is quite technical. So we're trying to fuse electronic music with live music and... And visuals. And and in, in, in the same production as well, which is, yeah, visuals and lighting and stuff. So... It's quite um controlled in the sense that uh it we're not an acoustic band jamming on a stage that can just flip between um, songs when, whenever we want stop start you know there's a controlled sense to the show it's it's quite rehearsed basically um, I think that goes along with a probably the genre of the style of music and what we're trying to do in that in that sphere but we definitely run a tight ship with the crew and there's you know 30 people involved with the live show and our manager is equally controlled and you know that's why we work well with her and you know she's obsessed about the detail and working with other people like that and so I guess, I guess that's you know, we wouldn't be this successful without brilliant people helping us. And we recognise the same traits we have in other people, that attention to detail and obsession about getting things really to a proper level. Those are the people we tend to work with and those are, and because of that I would say we've been very blessed with amazing people throughout our lives, mm-hmm. whether it's our lawyer or our accountant, our live production manager or our agents they're all kind of similar to us in in in, in varying ways. But um So that's something we we hold dearly, yeah. This is when it sort of changes a bit. Because when it's just a duo, there's only one other
0: person's emotions to take into account. And if you offend that person, it's kind of okay to go and say, sorry, and it's done. When you talk about doing the live show with this amount of staff, you know the two of you and your manager, you're kind of like the CEO, the MD, and the COO of a business at that point. So I'm really interested how you share the messaging with the people that are not on the stage and aren't getting the adulation and, and won't be making the big bucks from the show or the people that aren't good enough, how do you deal with that? And how do you put a team together? fascinated by that.
2: Yeah, it's what, so I mean, go on. I I guess, I I, I I mean, our agent as well is literally the sort of CFO or COO as well. He's someone we've been with for, since the very start. And um,
4: When you say the start, from back in Manchester. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was our first agent from 2004. Yeah,
1: it's sort of literally the, you know, The backbone of our entire like life career,
2: Um, and and I guess we are good at letting people get on with their jobs. Once you trust someone uh, and you know they're awesome uh, and uh, on the same kind of level as you, and they get to know you, you just do you. Then what we don't do is we don't kind of micromanage too much, and we don't. We're not always in people's business, and we're like, oh, actually, I think the controlling nature that we talked about isn't. We don't try too much to control everyone else around us all the time, which as well, we have in the past. I've been probably guilty of that. And you can definitely see that that doesn't react well. And you actually just start messing up everyone up. And so we definitely let a team that we love and know now just get on with it. And, and that's lovely for us because it means we can get on with our work and have full trust in the people around us to make difficult decisions. What do you think, so? Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Is it harder with your obsession? Like sometimes when you see people not. To to let it go. Well, you
1: know, it's kind of like yes and no like it, I, I notice a lot of things like if if things look like incorrect or something I'm always a you're, to, yeah, you're I'm always the one to want notice it. it you know like that's a typo we can't put that out da, 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 you name it I'm, I'm that eagle eyed on that um, you keep people on your toes on that's, their, toe, on their 100 toes session, that's, yeah. sure. that's definitely how do you do <laughs> well, Is that a quality yeah. I just by like being obsessed with absolutely everything <laughs> yeah so I know, you know I could t- yeah, on, on all elements I'm always quick to know like these are the wrong track listing this is the wrong order that's the wrong thing that's a full stop that should be a comma wise. Yeah, yeah. all that kind of annoying stuff but what i what i don't actually like will said in the micromanagement is i'm not telling my agent how to do, to do his job, job. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know he's the best agent in the world for me so you, he don't, you know i basically like what do you think Obi? should we do this he's like yeah well no i don't think so and i might like, i agree generally we agree if we don't agree believe me i'll say so but um yeah it's, it's all about kind of controlling the things that i feel i feel that i'm able to have a genuine input on and not be like talking rubbish. And if it's something that I have really no, no clue about, I'm like, I'll trust the experts. And if it's, if it's one of us, you know, I'm, if it was like, no, I know. I'm like, cool. I'll, I'll follow your lead on that. Yeah, yeah.
4: So can I ask you about the dynamic between you two? Because like, I'm getting echoes of an interview we did um, with an entrepreneur called Holly Tucker, who founded a business called not on the high where she spoke about her and her business partner. She described them as the yin and, to their yang course, so yeah. one of them was creative yeah. one of them was brilliant at the detail of running the business yeah is it as clearly defined as that between you two
2: it not probably as clearly defined but i, I mean that we're definitely ying and yang i think you know people have mentioned that and we talk about that a lot so also said earlier on good cop bad cop which i mean probably less so now uh you know we're probably more similar now than we used to be but
1: um And I'm softer, as I know. Yeah, exactly. But
2: the, the, so
4: were we, you the bad on Yeah, I still out. Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah,
1: laughs> but like it used to be, used to be like what,
4: what, what, what was that the
1: film? worst cop? Yeah. <laughs> it was that, where was his name? Harvard Kentells are really bad. Yeah, yeah, I mean that one. Bad yeah. cop, <laughs> badly <laughs> turning whatever. yeah that. That's it. no Maybe not quite. Yeah, that was a film, but that is a it, deep. It definitely. Deep um
2: Yeah, the good cop bad cop thing was is is great because uh, obviously sometimes it's nice to get on with people and, you know, work with people on that level. Then sometimes it's good to, to let people know that you're not going to be a pushover. And, uh, probably if it's up to me, you know, I'm too, probably too nice and could, particularly back it's reverse now mate, I'll tell in the, you. yeah it's probably reverse now but you know i'm soft and he's unbelievable it, but particularly when you're trying to make it and you get out of that difficult phase where everyone's trying to do the same as you and it's, it's people com- try it's to take, take the
1: mick at the start a couple of people tried it you get walked it. over, you get over all, all the time
2: it. and exactly and so you know still was very good at being like uh I don't think so. You know, this is what we want, and it was, you know, real cheeky stuff. Like, saying, sort of stuff. well, just, well, just, just talking... don't try and
1: not give you advances or, or, or like, agreed in advance with, with one of us, and then as the thing is coming along, the advance isn't the same. I'm like, we agreed this, we all heard the conversation, and for me, well, they speaking we... to
2: our people way above our pay grade. You
1: know, we're just thinking they could just sort of say, you know what, you two are done. Yeah, and <laughs> he
2: like... was there going, I don't give a damn. Trust me, this. And I was like, oh Brilliant. my god, you know, this is not going to end well for us. And it, and it always every single well time. for us. And
1: it's because for me, and it's led to us getting a lot of calls from our peers saying, hey, can I get a bit of advice here and that? Mm. And the simplest advice is, uh, for, and we took for ourselves is, if you sk- go into this game, into this world that you love so much, just desperate and grateful to be given the opportunity mm. that, like, they're so high and mighty and your music is just, thank you so much for having it. It's the wrong attitude to have. You need to know your worth and like Very st- straight that. away just be like well this is maybe not maybe not the, the remuneration of it just like this is worth something more than that and you're not yeah. having it until we get what we want and if you want it you can have it if you don't it's all good and with that people will be like fair enough let's talk rather than like oh yeah i gave so and so the t- song for free because i'm so pleased to be on x and y i'm like great you'll never get paid ever <laughs> you know you got to start where you mean to go on basically and that was important for us
4: so did you two ever sit down and formally Agree. What type of roles are. characteristics? No,
2: no, 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 not really. I think you know we we tried, and then it's kind of pointless. And you know when you work so closely together, and it's a small setup, you you don't. It kind of it either works on on that sort of other level, or it doesn't. If you try and stick to these kind of rules written down, agreed things get a bit stiff and then if someone doesn't and then it's like well you didn't do that and we said and and you end up bickering about the detail and i think at some point you just have to trust that each other it's not always perfectly 50 50 sometimes someone else does more of the work sometimes that will swing around and then another time you know what i mean you can't always put everything like right you're doing exactly that and i'll do exactly this Otherwise, you spend so much time manifesting. I do more obsessing. than you do. You do more. It's yeah, but I
4: mean, the reason I ask is because mm. you made the comment, well, that like that you've changed. So yeah. that Saul was a bad cop and well, yeah. Actually, it's probably more of me. So yeah, I, so you've obviously adapted as you've been working together for so long. Maybe it's yeah. bad
1: cop and nastier. Cop. I, I think. Knows? Yeah,
2: <laughs> I mean, I, I think again. You know, we when we when we were starting out things were way more intense with our working relationship because was just me and Saul right we did everything we managed ourselves we were basically we did everything we lived know? a street we, from, like, we were running, street from we, each other we were, doing, studio every we were day. managing our entire careers now we're blessed to have a, a big team of great people taking that pressure off us so really our work is a bit more fun and creative and like right let's how do we make cool tunes again we're not so worried about how, the strategy and you know, we're, we're across it with our team, but it's not reliant on me or him to sort of pull our fingers out and get it right. Um, and so it's, it's a bit, yeah, we don't have to have that sort of intense kind of working relationship as much as we did. When and we, when and was, as you get to this sixth
0: album, do you both get this sense that you are maybe working with more freedom than ever before? Because you have got people to carry that. Yeah, kind of. Uh, yeah. You have achieved an incredible amount, like literally you could never do another day's work. And you've been a success. Super.
2: Yeah. Well, you know what? I mean, that's almost like where the name came yeah, from. That's really. I, I think we got we got to a point after our, our last album and and the time thinking about life through lockdown and whatever and reflecting and stuff, and and just thinking like, wow, we have kind of come full circle to a point where we feel now we can make music and do what we love doing with the freedom that we had when we were in Manchester without anything to lose. And without the pressures of that second album or the the, the career to maintain or the, the business side of it getting involved, we sort of got to a point where it was like, wow, we've, all, we've gotten, had an amazing legacy in career, and amazing 15 years of experiences that we treasure. And let's use all of that to sort of go back to the, how we felt at the start. And that's where the album title came from, what came before. It's kind of like what came before was just the freedom to do what we love doing without thinking about anything else.
0: Listen, we've reached the point where we go into our quick-fire questions. This will take double the time it normally does, so it won't be particularly <laughs> yeah. quick-fire. And I'm looking forward to the first answer to this one, which is your three non-negotiables that you have to deliver and the people around you have to deliver. What are the three things that you always bring to the table?
2: Uh, kind of traits. Um, being, being on time. On time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Being clear communicator. Does so that
1: count as being reliable? It's on time, yeah, it's the same, isn't
2: it? kind of. I mean, but being you're yeah. allowed six by the way because there was two okay, of you, okay. Yeah. We're
1: reliable because we're definitely reliable. Yeah. We're pretty much on time. I think, I think for me, communi- communicating uh, it,
2: things can get really complex, and um, people that, uh, people that can't communicate simply keep it, ask, keep it
1: simple, very simple, simple, keep simple. things simple, yes. Yeah. Less is more, yeah. Um, what else? You know, on yeah. list, <laughs> Honesty has to be the first, man. You'd have that as number one. I think I would have it. Honesty. Honesty. You know, with me personally, it can obviously get me in some situations, but just, it has to, I mean, more to the point. But being honest, just be straight with us. But it doesn't matter if it gets you into a situation if it's honesty. It doesn't. Just be straight. Whatever it is with us, you're not happy with something, you are happy with something. Great. Every now and again, it's nice to hear that you're happy. Um, But like, yeah, if you're not happy, we want to know immediately. Please don't, you know, don't hide it or go elsewhere yeah, and yeah. say it. Just we're here and we, we not, and what is it? What, what's the word for if there ever is a situation, we always want to sort it out. If we make a mistake, we're quick to, we're quick to realise it, yeah. you know, and like t- take accountability.
4: What advice would you give to a teenage Will and a teenage soul just starting out?
1: Don't wear your ponytail so tight because <laughs> one yeah. day your hair's going to be a bit thinner and yeah. you'll be really upset um, about it. Um,
4: just I, I probably, um, there's
1: the truth right there. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Um, Again, I know it's so cliched and horrific to say, but like, <laughs> we, uh, if we changed anything we did, be it going to the Rays back then, to Bagley's, to anything at Manchester, to... I mean, yeah. I wouldn't change a thing. I, t- I tell you what, maybe
2: I'd say, you know, to, to young me, like, if, if you can, you know, try and find someone else that, that's, that's uh, on, what, into what you're into and try and do something with them. Because it's definitely being on your own is tough. And I think every successful person has someone with them, whether they're in profile or not. Um, there might be a quiet partner or something, but to, just to be on your own, particularly as an forward-facing artist, is tough. And um, so, find someone
1: that you can build something with and uh, and work with. Anything to add, so one decision that we made, I think that for, for Will and I made, that actually I think was the real fork in the street one, where you can either go this way and go the long way around, because we knew we were going to make it anyhow at some stage, or okay, this is how it's going to start. Move you boys now. Is came out of Manchester with the dub plate, went to Black Market Records, paid for the DJ in there, and he took the the dub plate off me, and he said, "If I can keep this, I'll, I'll play it tonight at Fabric." I called up Will, he was like, "What is this mad thing to do? Why are we doing this?" <laughs> um, we discussed it for me, then decided it's a good idea. Gave the kid the thing. Thought I'd never hear from him ever again. 3 a.m. that morning, phone call for the kid at Fabric, people going crazy. Bam, 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 my sister wants to talk to you. Her, his sister ended up signing the record for us on the Monday. Our lives changed. We were like, this is going to happen. This started to happen. And it would be to remind myself, the young me, of that moment. Because you forget those things. And actually, like, taking that real punt. Like, we'd driven down to my for three hours, gone to a dub cutting house, cut that for ages, spent our last few kids on it, gone to black market records, paid it to this geezer, and I've given it to him. My friend who drove me there was like, you are an idiot. I've driven you all around the country and you've given the thing away. Get out my car. Like pretty much live it. And it was just to remind myself, you know what? Sometimes you've got to take that scary leap Brilliant. because if we didn't take that leap, which at the time it was a big leap for us. Like I said, you know, it was a wasted trip coming down from Manchester, spending all our money. We didn't have 50 quid at all. And that leap ended up, you know, being the start of it. So it's, it's a, really, it's really, a
0: really good lesson as well that for people listening to this because People will be thinking, right, okay, I understand this now. I'm going to be like the guys. I'm going to be, I'm going to really believe it's going to happen, but I'm going to marry that belief with an incredible work ethic, unbelievable attention to detail and strong communication. But you know what? The thing that changed your entire careers was totally out of your hands. You, you didn't control that moment. You didn't know that moment was yeah. going to happen. And that is also a really important lesson for people is like the universe has to play a part in all of this as yeah, well. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Take some risks. You've you got to go and do it. Just you ch- have chuck us in the deep end. Yeah. 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 And who knows?
0: next question is uh, how important is legacy to you both
2: uh i think it is important it wasn't and now and now it is and and i guess we're proud of what we've done and we've seen so many people like i mentioned earlier come and go which is really sad lots of our friends lots of our peers of who we thought were going to become huge and sort of go on to have careers of have kind of suddenly disappeared and and that and you know for whatever reason maybe intentionally but it's tough to kind of keep things going and i guess things do end someday and i would i would be probably most proud of getting to the end of this journey uh and ending on a high not one of these spectacular bands that fall out with a label or fall out with each other or kind of things get a bit neggy at the end um and i would love to the day we decide okay we're we're not gonna do this anymore for it to end on a real high, and then at that moment, to, you know, maybe open that
1: bottle of champagne and go, hasn't been such a bad journey after all. <laughs> I think I'm, I'm, all, I'm already kind of proud of, of of where we're at, and I've only realised it in the last few months. Like, because it's dawning on me that you know, it's 20 years next year, and it's like, wow, we actually have done quite a bit. And to the extent that I do feel, you know, if, if, after the pandemic, the, the clubs opened, we were allowed to, to DJ again. The amount of shows that we had was very humbling like it was so many and it was like wow people really do want to see us and you know our oh, we still have a great fan base and that was without any new music so you know i, I i'm excited for for obviously it's a legacy of great albums still to come and the beauty about what we do i think is that when we do decide to no longer perform or you know be it, be the band or whatever. We there's still so many parts of the music industry in the career that we can work in producing for other people and constantly making music. I don't think there'll be a, actually a day popping that champagne or not where Will and I won't be making music. I think it's intrinsic to us, it's in us. It's a release, you know, it's an outlet that you need. And I think, you know, as long as that's inside us, we'll always be creating.
4: If you could go back to one moment in your life, what would it be and why?
1: There's be, there's been a few
2: moments that are all kind of similar in the sense that the phone has rung. This is again, us professionally starting out and you know, desperate to try and prove to ourselves that this could even work. And, um, the few moments where the phone has rung and someone on the end of the line has said something to us that has been so exciting, you know, basically had picked up the phone and said yes. And had that unbelievable out of world uh, experience of like the, the most exciting thing is as has just happened and whether that was a, a, a record label sort of saying guys I, you know i'm so and so and i want to sign you to a big deal and from you know no Artists. one we, yeah or a big artist we worshiped and looked up to would call us and say i want to work with you guys those moments when you're starting out are unlike any other moment, you know, even more exciting than when we headlined to sort of the glass of me to 65,000 people, yeah. which is out of body experience. Mm-hmm. But those moments when you got an email or an AIM, an AOL instant message, or a, a, as I said, a text message. Oh, or MySpace. When we were 23 years old, a message mm-hmm. from someone saying, Yo, I've just heard this thing. I want to meet up. And, you know, we would be on the floor. With excitement and energy and like that feeling is, I don't think we'll ever feel that level again.
1: It was very personal as well because those moments were just happening mm. with us. Mm. You know, Will and I. On those one occasion, can't that, share it, was with A phone else, call, it? like for three in the morning, like what the fuck? You know, like yeah. Someone saying, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this with you guys. I want to make this work." And I mean, obviously, like, obviously oh the oh rush of playing to eight thousand people, or whatever, is like wow. But this is very different, very personal, very like understated moments of the fact that with are on the phone definitely and the final question for people listening to this
0: is kind of your last message really and it is your one golden rule for living a high performance
2: life what is the one final thing you'd you'd like to say to the listeners and the viewers from this conversation for me it's learning the art of collaboration and whether that's collaborating with the million artists we work with through just the physical nature of making songs with other people, whether it's collaborating with all the people we run our business with or whether it's collaborating with each other. And it's a really difficult thing to do well. I think probably it's an art form in itself, but if you do it well, I think it's probably the most powerful thing you can do. And
1: I'd like to think our career is a testament to that. And honesty and dedication, they will get you very, very far. Mm. You know, you can all, in this. You can always work more when you're younger, especially. Um, you don't realise it at the time because you're just in your life. But as you get older and you get responsibilities and families and pets and kids and everything, and you have less time. Yeah. So when you when, when 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 you have that passion, that fire in your belly, that that, that like those those, those like bleakers that nothing else you can see past but doing this. The blinkers, sorry, just got to run with it. And and we sacrifice everything to do it at the time we weren't going out to nightclubs uh, uh, bars like linking up with our girlfriends. nothing nothing we were in the studio 23 hours a day and it was all actually sacrificed for the one day we would be able to do what we love and that determination i think is very important
0: damien jake i enjoyed that
4: I loved it. There's an old story about um, a guy who invaded Mexico back in the 16th century and his troops were complaining and they were nervous and they were worried about what they were going to face. And he sent one of his team back to burn all the boats on the on the beach. So the only way they could ever get home was by fighting the way through the difficulties. And I, that's what the metaphor came to my mind when I was listening to both Will and Saul talking about that, that they burnt their boats, they went all in to go after success that as they said they knew they were going to be successful it was just how they were going to get there
0: and that line they said numerous times we knew we were going to be successful i think it's really important we just pick out that a bit because what they're not saying is we were arrogant and we believed it was just going to happen for us they spoke about it almost as like a superpower so that the fact they knew they were going to be successful allowed them to quit uni It allowed them to stay in Manchester. It allowed them to put themselves in situations that most people wouldn't be in. But most importantly of all, it allowed them to work hard. Because I think that in the back of their minds, they're going, man, you're working hard. Man, you're sacrificing. Man, you're never going out and having fun. But then that voice goes, yeah, but you're going to make it as a music artist, so this is fine. And it was a really positive we knew it was going to happen.
4: Yeah, I think it's that last bit that you've just nailed there, Jake, around. They were working hard. They weren't just dreaming about making it big and hoping that somebody would spot them or somebody would hear them playing music in the bedroom. They were working hard at getting better at the craft. And then the story of going out and meeting the guys in the record shops, the understanding that they had to create a brand, they had to create a buzz around what they were doing mm. is the important bit that having a dream without doing the hard work is only ever just going to be a dream.
0: And I think there are quite a few platforms, you know, and some podcasts included, that are peddling this dangerous message of whatever walk of life you're in, just go and make it happen, just go and do it. And I think that it's, you could mistake them saying we knew it was going to happen for that same level of ignorance or arrogance, but actually it's not at all what they're not saying it's just going to happen for them, it's going to just happen for everyone. They are absolutely laying it bear to us that they worked and worked and are still working even today and i think that you know we've said on so many occasions this podcast sort of lifts the covers so you really see the truth behind someone's career when you look at chasing the status you hear the music you look at the big events now you know the work that went into them
4: yeah there's a brilliant book by a guy called stephen presley i think called uh the war of art and it's about you always show up you don't wait for inspiration to descend. You go in and you do the work and inspiration follows that you never miss uh, an appointment time. You turn up and you apply it to everybody that's in the studio you're working with. And that's what Will and Saul were telling us there, that it was about the hard work. They never got high on their own supply. They'd do a, they'd do a big show they'd be successful and they were going away and planning. How do we do that better? They were doing that analysis.
0: And for those people that are listening to us talk now thinking, well, how does this apply to my life? I would say that the hard work allows you to fail and it allows you to not be successful because if they release their most recent album or, and it doesn't sell, or they go on tour and people don't buy tickets, they can still say, well, you know what, we gave it 100%. We were laser focused. We were obsessed about it and it wasn't to be. It's a hell of a lot better than thinking, I wish I'd worked harder.'"
4: Yeah. There's a great saying that they use um in the New Zealand rugby team, that the worst thing you can ever be is a one cap wonder because you've demonstrated you've got the talent, but you didn't have the perseverance and the characteristics to stay there. And I think the fact that these guys are on their sixth album, they're hugely successful. It's not just the talent, it's the hard work and all those characteristics they've shared with us that defines high performance
0: right damien it's time for our favorite part of any high performance episode time to speak to the people that are listening and we've got a really lovely message this week And by the way if you want to reach out to us then um, head to high performance or to damien or myself on instagram ping us a message let us know um why you love high performance what it is it's done for you and what you'd like to share on the podcast because that's exactly what our next guest did Who sent us a message saying, I just want to say how much I love listening to the podcast. I was late to the party and only really started listening a few months ago, which means I still have loads to catch up on, which we always think is a good thing. Damien and I love that. Um, This person says, I love the variety. Some of my favourites have been Joe Malone, Kelly Holmes, Joe Wicks, Kevin Sinfield and probably my absolute favourite, Lee Childs. I'm about to retire in June after 25 years, wow, of primary teaching. And I love the way that Lee acknowledged the challenges and important roles that teachers play. I've been inspired by many of your guests, and listening to your podcast has given me the final push I needed to realise a long term ambition. Well, I think it's time to find out what the ambition is and meet the listener joining us today. Hello, Chris. Hi
3: there. Hi.
0: How are you?
3: I'm good, thanks. I'm great from sunny Edinburgh. <laughs>
0: So, so tell us then, Chris, how has listening to the podcast changed the way that you think? Because what we love to say to people is that we're all constantly evolving and changing humans, right? So you could easily go, well, I've been a teacher for 25 years. I've lived a, a wonderful life. What more can I learn? So I love the fact that you still came to the podcast and grew and developed and learned lots of new ways of thinking. What was it for you that, it, that grabbed you? Yeah,
3: I think, um, well, kind of what started it off was, was during lockdown. So I've I've read all my life. I love reading. It's like a a really big thing for me. And I've written stuff for about 10 years. Um, And then during lockdown, two things happened. Uh, Well, first of all, I was furloughed for a few months, which I took really hard. Um, And then the second thing was that we got a kitten. And I also do a lot of mindfulness too. So I teach mindfulness to children. I teach mindfulness to adults. And I've had some of my... um, some of my meditations published on Insight Timer, the app. Um, but during lockdown, I started writing some for children, mostly because my colleagues were saying, you know, we're online with you know some of the with, with some of the children, because I'm I'm not a class teacher. Um, I'm a support for learning teacher, so I teach children with learning differences. So that's kind of where where the children's writing started. I guess uh, we we got the new kitten, and we were just watching her do stuff or you know, scared to do stuff. So the first time we put her out in the garden, she wouldn't go, you know. Um, And so I kind of thought, maybe I could do some mindfulness, not particularly for her, but it just gave me the idea that maybe, you know, I know that children are scared of things and, you know, they struggle to do, you know, certain things. And so I thought, why not make it into a story? And I was originally just going to put it up um, on Insight Timer as a story. And then it kind of became a little bit more than that.
4: So would you tell us where the High Performance Podcast came into that then, Chris, and how that helped you?
3: So, well, the, the first one I actually, the, the first one I actually listened to, because one of my colleagues kept saying, you have to listen, you have to listen. And uh, I listened to Kelly Holmes and she was a like a real inspiration. And, you know, I just, I really liked the 20%, 80% that she talked about. And I just thought, you know, these are ordinary people doing extraordinary things. So... That, it kind of inspired me to keep going I mean I had written it um but I'd been knocked back by quite a few publishers and then I saw an advert for self-publishing and I just thought I'm going to go for it and it's kind of my big birthday present to myself if you like.
0: Now Chris I do not want to offend you but I would love to ask how old you are with you set to retire in a few weeks time.
3: I'm 59 just now, so I'm not at the big 6 all
0: yet. Now, one of the things we often say to people is an old Stoic phrase, which is, when's the best time to plant a tree 20 years ago? When's the second best time right now? And I think we live in a world where too many people, we get messages, Chris, from people in their 30s saying, I've missed the boat, I've missed the chance, it's too late for me. I would love you just to share a message with our high-performance community as someone who is approaching a big birthday, um, just to sort of share with us the thought from someone with your life experience that it's never over the journey continues all the time
3: yeah just just go for it be brave i wish i wish i'd done more when i was when i was younger i wish i'd had more courage but i kind of trod a sort of more traditional path you know i didn't push myself out of my comfort zone too much and i think as you get older you kind of think well it's now or never you know there's you never know do you
4: That reminds me of a great uh, phrase, Chris, that uh, a guy called Dr. Uh, Daniel Amen used to say that at 18, we spend our time worrying what people think about us. We get to 40 and we go, oh, I don't care what people think about us. And then when we get to 60, he says, we then realise that, nobody was actually thinking about us after all anyway.
3: I would agree. I think it's true. And, and I like his stuff. I've read some of his books on ADHD. And-
0: Brilliant. Look, Chris, we wish you all the very best with the picture book. We wish you the very best with retirement. Thank you for all the hundreds of young lives that you would have touched over the years as a, as a primary school teacher and the changes that you made to their lives. And thank you so much for realising the value that exists in the High Performance Podcast and coming on and sharing it with us.
3: Thanks for having me.
0: What a nice conversation that was, Damien. You know, it it reminds me of, have you heard the George Eliot quote? And I'll probably get it wrong as I usually do. And it's something like, you're never too old to become what you might have been. Oh, I love that. That's a cracker. And that's like, let's stop living in this world where we kind of either decide it's too early or too late, or it's not the right time in some way, because this is a conversation about delaying our happiness. And it almost feels like you know, Chris has realised that you're never going to get this time again and to chase those dreams, and I love that.
4: Yeah, I think it, it reminded me a little bit of our conversation we had that um with Mary Portas, where she was just saying, it's never been easier to be an entrepreneur. You've got access to to like the World Wide Web in, uh, in your hand. And I think for Chris there to realise that anyone can be an author, if you've got the passion, you can go down that self-publishing route and still get your book out there and share it with the world. So, yeah, you're right. I think it's such a really powerful affirming conversation with chris
0: it's funny you say that you know because one of the common conversations that i have at the moment is with young people saying to me oh yeah but it was much easier back in the day when you know you got into tv because there was less challenges and it's harder now than it's ever been and i do you know i say to them genuinely there's never been more opportunity for anyone to do anything they want to do and the answer is our mobile phones the answer is instagram the answer is youtube the answer is tiktok You know, let's say you're super passionate about curtains. You can just create content. You can create a YouTube channel. You can create an Instagram account. You can create a podcast. You know, this whole thing that we're on now, this high-performance podcast, it's just born out of passion and a love for something. And anyone can do that about anything in their lives. And it can be a side hustle or it can be your whole life. But what it can't be is ignored and put in a box and pushed away because I guarantee you when that final
4: breath leaves your body, you'll think, why didn't I just do that? Absolutely. And I think Chris, like all our guests in many ways, echoing the same thing of just give it a go. You're smarter for the experience and you're wiser for, uh, for it as well. And I love the fact that she
0: appeared on the same episode as Chase and Status. And there might be people thinking, how does Chris, age 59, from Edinburgh, link that closely to Chase and Status? But go back to the conversation we've had with them, Damien. It would have been easy to not stay in Manchester, easy to go home, easy to stick with doing a degree. But they, they just decided to put passion and purpose at the centre of what they did. And that's led to their amazing career.
4: Yeah. And you know what? I think Will and Saul would listen to that, that discussion we've had there with Chris and they'd find an awful lot of common ground with her. They wouldn't be you know having met the guys they were real committed to their art but I think they respected others that had that passion as well. And it's been a couple of weeks since we recorded that conversation with
0: Chasing Status or Will and Soul and I actually they were really warm characters weren't they I keep thinking back to what a nice kind of feeling it was in the
4: room. Yeah I loved it I thought they were brilliant I thought they were really sort of self-aware but in many ways this sounds insulting it's not intended to be but They sort of embraced their inner geek as well, didn't they? They weren't trying to be cool. They weren't trying to be sort of edgy. They were just happy to embrace. This is who we are. We're passionate about music and making music join the club yeah.
0: geeks rule brother <laughs> um listen mate thanks ever so much for your time and if you're listening to damon and i have this conversation and you have got the time to subscribe or share or rate this podcast it means we can reach even more people than we have done so far so we would love you to do that you can also watch the interviews as well as listen to them so if you want to see chase and status or any other guest that has joined us on high performance over the years then just head to youtube type in the high performance podcast or get all the details at our website. TheHighPerformancePodcast.com. Damo, thanks ever so much, mate. Thanks, Jake. Loved it. Wonderful. And before we go, just thank you so much for the amazing reaction to the podcast with Greg Hoffman. Jodi said, This week's High Performance Podcast with Greg is the most valuable piece of content I've consumed in years. Tanya says, I've just listened. I'm replaying with my notebook later as there's so much for me to take away from it. Another great podcast with the former CMO of Nike talking about changing the structure of the marketing function to respond to the digital arena. So thank you so much for all those amazing comments and thoughts that you've had regarding the High Performance Podcast over the last few days. We don't take them for granted. Thanks to Will and Soul. Thanks to Chris. Of course, thanks to Damien and to Gemma and to Eve and to Will and to Hannah and to Finn from Rethink Audio. But most of all, the big thanks on the High Performance Podcast goes to you at home for listening, for sharing, for discussing and for helping this platform to grow. Just remember, there is no secret. It is all there for you. So be your own biggest cheerleader over the next few days and make world-class basics your calling card. Thanks for joining us.